founding a startup is is actually selling right so being able to confidently sell an idea um sell a solution um to your team to vcs to your customers whoever uh, regardless of where you're coming from because what really matters is the solution to the problem not where you're coming from or who you are um is, is really important Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fresh Start Podcast, a show where we share success principles, explore the stories, experiences, and journey of real people in order to provide newcomers with strategies to succeed. My name is David Ojenka. Today's show is the part two of the Blueprint of Successful Startups with Bimi Akonde. If you haven't heard part one yet, go back and listen to it. That is the episode right before this because you need that for context. Now, let's dive right into part two of the blueprint of successful startups with Bimia Kode. Um, so let's talk about, you know, startup founders, especially when it comes to immigrant startup founders. Um, what do you think separates regular founders from very successful founders? I mean, in this, in this instance, um, immigrant founders? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. And I've thought about it quite a lot because, you know, I'm, I also run a VC fund. So the goal is to pick out the best founders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, first of all, regardless of whether they're immigrant founders or not, there's a certain, I'll say, traits or character or mindset, I would say, that a successful founder has that a, a founder that is not as successful doesn't have right and i mean it could it could mean many things um but i think the best way to describe it is just um you know it's 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 a level of persistence or insistence mm-hmm. in letting uh their curiosity guide them mm-hmm. but also being also being humble enough to know when to change tra- trajectory so i think it's it's something about your the ability to to be comfortable with uncertainty, um, the ability to be comfortable with pivoting and making several changes sometimes within one day, as long as you can have at least a gut feel, that's mm-hmm. the minimum, that this new cause or this new direction can lead to eventual success. So mm-hmm. first of all, they are passionate about the problem they are solving. Mm-hmm. Um, and second of all, they are just extremely nimble and, and again, tenacious in pursuing the solution to that problem that they've identified, right? So it's a combination of different things. And I think for, for immigrant founders, um, I've worked with several immigrant founders too. And I think it's it's important to uh, to have the, 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 the mindset of, hey, um, Despite the fact that I'm an immigrant, um, I I will not I will not simply assume that people that are not immigrants um, know more than I do about the problem I'm trying to solve. So it's a bit of a a, a bit of some level a level a level of confidence I would say to say okay, being able to because a lot of what 
founding a startup is is actually selling right so being able to confidently sell an idea um sell a solution um to your team to VCs, to your customers whoever uh, regardless of where you're coming from because what really matters is the solution to the problem not where you're coming from or who you are um is is really important and i'd say um some founders like to build things in isolation. Some founders understand the importance of community. Uh, the founders that understand the importance of community and are able to plug in into a community uh, tend to do better than, than any other founder, I would say. Wow, thank you. Thank you for that. But there's something you also spoke about, which I would like you to talk more about, which is, you know, um, sticking through an idea and knowing when to pivot right yeah but how, how do you know when to give up although that doesn't exist in the dictionary of founders uh no i mean you you, you give up several times on 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 small things um when to give up um i don't think it's a time i think it's a it's a milestone I think the entire venture building process is a milestone driven process, not really a time process. What I mean is, I don't think you can say, um, in, I, I will try this for two years. I don't know, maybe a different example. I'll try this for six months. And if it doesn't work, um, I pivot, or I give up, or I change. No, I think eventually it comes down to what are the, what are the signals you're seeing in the environment that is giving you enough data to pivot or change. So what that means is if I have a product and a product is not being bought by customers, then it's time to change, regardless of when that happens, whether you, whether you realize that's the case on day one or week one or year one, you have to change when you see that signal, right? So I think being open to what the signal tells you, and by signals, I mean what are the insights, the data, the um the, the information what are they, what are they telling you are they telling you to keep going this route or are they telling you to change course right so it's not really an issue of a timeline of when it's really an issue of the information and the milestone that that information presents to you if that milestone means oh i need to go bigger i need to double down on my engineering on my team um to make this happen a bit faster yeah and that's the case. If the information tells you that the next milestone is to stop this entire business and and change the cause into a different kind of business, then you have to do that, right? Eventually, it all boils down to, hey, are you comfortable and humble enough to make that switch when necessary? Um, there is no point burning money and burning time on something that will not work uh, simply because you want to prove that you don't give up, you know? Yeah. So I, I mean, that's a long winded answer to your question, but I think I can't, I can't, I can't reduce it to a timeline. I'd rather say it's a milestone and it's information. Wow. That's, and that's true. Like, especially coming from someone like you, I've seen, you know, a lot of organizations go through the highs and the lows and yeah. um, providing the support for them and, Giving having those tough conversations. Now let's talk about 
you know, investors and founders now. A lot of founders, you know, at some point they would need investors or some of them, you know, there are different stages of investment, pre, pre-seed investment, seed funding, and different rounds, you know, they have yeah. like different rounds. So, but what are the core skills that event investors look for in founders? Yeah, um, that's, that's a good question. I think, um, yeah, we look at it, especially at the early stages. So first, let, let me say that I don't think all founders need to raise money from investors. Mm-hmm. I know that that may be strange coming from, from me, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't think all founders need to raise money from investors. I think they're there are very many excellent businesses that have been bootstrapped from the ground up mm-hmm. and they are successful businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do investors look for in founders? I think it's, um, it comes down to, um, does this founder have a track record of uh, being able to navigate a difficult terrain? Mm-hmm. Um, that could be in a previous job could be in a previous startup, could be the fact that they are a second time founder. So that's, that's the founder side of things, the people side of things. And then second thing is, uh, is, this a, is this a venture backable business? So what I mean by that is that, is this, investors are looking for just a few things, right? The first thing investors are looking for is, can this business potentially become a hundred million dollar business. So can it be the next unicorn potentially, right? Um, unicorn means 1 billion, but I mean, at least a hundred million dollar business big enough that it justifies my investment. At the end of the day, investors are not looking for a business that will, that you invest in and then returns two X of the investment. They're looking for a business that you invest in and then returns a hundred X. So is this business able to reach that scale. Uh, and there are a few things you can use to know that, right? Um, uh, and there, there, are many, there are different metrics that you can look at to understand that. So the first thing is, is this founder the right person to run this kind of business? Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, is this business able to return a hundred times the investment I put in it? Uh, and then a few other market dynamics coming, right? Um, um, is, is, is this the kind of, so some inv- investors have more like a thesis that they that they follow through on. So some investors will not invest in certain industries that they, they pick all those things, right? So does it fall within uh, the sectors we are playing in? Do we have the experience to support this founder? Because the honest truth is that there is more money in the market right now chasing founders than there are founders to invest in, right? So money is really a commodity right now. Uh, what founders should be looking for is what else does an investor bring to the table apart from money? So investors also on their own side are thinking, okay, what are the things that we can provide to this founder beyond just the cash? Because the cash is a commodity, right? So um, when those stars begin to align, then it looks like, yes, this may be an interesting business to invest in. Now, as the business progresses and it gets to the later rounds like Series B and Series C, uh, investors are purely looking at metrics and data, historical data that points to the fact that this business can scale. Uh, but in the early stages, it's a combination of the founder, uh, the product market fit, the fact that this business can get to a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a combination of a few factors that investors look at. Wow, thank you so much for, for that. Thank you for sharing that. Now let's talk about, you know, the 
the um, immigrants, like, you know, newcomers, internationally trained talent, skilled immigrants, international students. How do you think they can leverage accelerators and incubators more? And what are some of the things you're seeing based on your experience? Do you think that they are leveraging these opportunities effectively or well enough? Um, not, not enough, not enough. I don't think immigrants are leveraging these platforms well enough. Um, accelerators do, a good accelerator will do three things. Um, they provide coaching, they provide community, and potentially they provide capital. Um, coaching is, is, is bigger than what it sounds in the sense that when you're building a business in, in a new market as an immigrant, you need to have uh, the right kinds of advice and information to help you grow that business. That's the coaching part. The community part is the fact that building a business is a very lonely journey. It's lonely, you feel you're alone most of the time. The community aspect helps to solve that. Uh, it gives you uh, a network of like-minded people who are within the same stage that you are in, understand the struggles you're going through, and you can leverage on their strengths to help get to the next level. And capital is capital. It's money, everyone needs money. Um, and I think a good accelerator incubator, call it whatever you want, can provide this, can provide access to these three things, right? And eventually, I think what immigrant founders need to also understand is that the government of Canada and several other organizations in Canada are providing enough um, support through grants and other kinds of funding to founders across different sectors uh, more so if you come from an underrepresented community, right? So there's so much um, non-dilutive funding, we call it. So funding that doesn't dilute your ownership in the company. There's so much non-dilutive funding out there that you can leverage to build a company, right? And then get into an accelerator or get into an accelerator and use the accelerator network to get those kind of funding, whichever way you want to put it and then grow a business. Um, I understand that difficult, it's a difficult mindset or a difficult switch to make, right? When you're coming to the country, your goal is really to get a job and stabilize and survive. Um, but if you can begin to unlock funding and grants along your journey of building a business, then it solves the problem of stabilizing in this, um, in this market, right? And more so the journey of founding a company and growing a company, while I say it's lonely, it's also very rewarding in the sense that you have, um, you, the, the potential for upside is high. Uh, you can very, apart from the material upside or the financial upside, it's also the upside of getting a lot of exposure to different things at the same time, right? So you're getting exposure to in an accelerator, you're getting exposure to 60, 70, 80 different people at the same time. Uh, they know you, they believe in you, they're there for you, they're rooting for you. So it's, it's unlike you sitting down in your house and trying to figure stuff out on your own, right? You are, you are literally 
uh, being supported through your journey uh, during the time frame of that accelerator program. So I think immigrants are not taking advantage of this enough, you know, explore as many opportunities as possible of getting to accelerators and hubs and things like that. Do you have an example or websites that people who are looking to um, access some of these opportunities that they can go to? Do you have an idea? I don't think there's one single website where you have a list of all the accelerator programs in Canada. Um, but I can I, I can just say that, okay, one thing that you can do is to check out the big ones. The big ones are the DMZ, Communitech, Mars, there's Techstars also, there's Founder Institute. There are all these very well-known ones that you can start from. Mm-hmm. And then you can look at the regional ones. The regional ones um, are specific to um, either a, a municipality or a region. Mm-hmm. And then many universities are also down having their own innovation centers or things like that, right? So I I, I think, um, yeah, re- regional innovation centers, call, they call them RICS, I-R-R-I-C, um, is a good starting place. Uh, and then from there, you can explore a lot more. Um, also comes by, again, just networking and asking people around mm-hmm. um, where these hubs are. Right. Thank you so much for that. I've, I've learned a lot from this conversation. You've, you've, you've told us a lot and I really, really appreciate your support. Um, now, um, let's round it up. You know, I'm sure in your experience, you've, you've come across a few biases and myths that people have about um, internationally trained professionals. Um, imagine if you're sitting across like and hiring manager or recruiter who is trying to make a decision as to whether to hire skilled internationally trained professionals or not, or even international students, what would you tell them? Mm. So uh, tell the hiring manager, right? Yes. Um, I'm skeptical about hiring, you know, internationally trained talent. Um. I think what many people fail to realize, uh, and thankfully the people I've worked with have, they know this, mm-hmm. um, is the fact that internationally trained talent bring a fresh perspective to anything that they do, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, the truth is that many people that have lived and worked only in Canada Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in somewhat of a bubble in a sense that they, this is what they know this is how they know it's been done mm-hmm. this is how they do it mm-hmm. uh, internationally trained talents immigrants uh, people that have worked elsewhere they bring a fresh perspective a fresh motivation um, a fresh insight into what it means to do the work that you are getting them to do, right? So I think that would be the first thing I'll tell them. And then, and then secondly, to simply be around, hey, um, there's there's a lot you are missing by restricting yourself to Canadian trained talent. Mm-hmm. That's the truth, right? There's uh, like I've I've schooled in different places. I know people that have schooled in also in different places, and I think mm-hmm. I think. Um, when I meet someone that, for example, school in China, um, there's a lot about China that I learn simply by speaking to them. Mm-hmm. And 
And just so you know, China is a, is a massive economy on its own. Mm-hmm. Like, they try to almost run itself, right? So I think there's a lot to be gained by the skill set. Apart from the different and fresh perspective, there's a lot to be gained by the skill set that these people bring to the table. Mm. Those are kind of two things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize, I would say. Thank you so much for that. That's, those, those are very um, good points you've raised. And I hope that um, things will change. And that's the essence of why the Fresh Startup exists. Um, we want to significantly reduce the underemployment of internationally trained talent through our solutions. And, you know, like I told you prior to this conversation, we are taking it up in knowledge. We are working really hard behind the scene to, you know, change the narrative for members of our community. So, um, and, you know, we we believe that in the coming years, the gap will start getting closed up because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's been getting wider despite government intervention. But we believe that, you know, with a different perspective with an innovative approach to this, we start seeing the kind of change that we hope to see. Now, finally, imagine that you're sitting across an international trained talent and they're saying that, Bemi, I've tried all this approach you told, you've, you've talked about on this, on this podcast. You said I should reach out to people on LinkedIn. I even tried Twitter. I tried Instagram. I, I've done every... I've tried every approach. I've applied the traditional way. But it's like nothing is forthcoming for me. Or an international student who is saying, my parents have invested a lot in my education. Or some of them have even spent a lot by themselves because some international students come in as, you know, mature students, like graduate students. And they're saying that, Amy, I've invested a lot of money. I've invested a lot of time. And my open aspiration is to become a Canadian citizen at some point. But I'm not getting the kind of job that will get me there. I'm currently doing a job that's way below my potential and my capability. What advice would you give to those people? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. Um, I think first, it's... um, it's a complex thing in the sense that um, I, I know that the, the market can be tough in the mm. sense that they're, they're, you can try and try and try and then it's still not forthcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, what I always like to encourage people to do first is to um, try to break into a community or a network that is that is within the space you eventually want to get into. And that could look in different, different, that could, that could look different for different people, mm-hmm. right? So um, that could mean taking a short course somewhere, volunteering somewhere, breaking into that community gets you to become more confident in your ability to succeed in that community, right? But that's also still a leap, right? Um, my my default mode, and I've told people this, is honestly try to start a business. Mm-hmm. And then that's, that's, that's also a stretch for some people. And they say, oh, wow, I've spent all this money doing, but I think there are different funding sources you can unlock that can support you through the way. Um, and and thirdly, I would say the the my, my go-to approach at that point will be, hey, um, 
I know everybody talks about this and it may sound very motivational, but I think there's something that has to do with uh, not not giving up um, mm-hmm. and and making sure that you have 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 your game plan and you are you able to measure how the game plan is 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 working out mm-hmm. in the sense that um, am I am I sending for example, um, am I sending five emails per day, right? Mm-hmm. Out of those emails, am I tracking the open rates? Like you try to turn your job search into a marketing engine. Mm-hmm. Am I tracking the open rates? Uh, out of the open rates, who is more likely to open? Maybe I should double down on those people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, doing everything you can to track your progress will help you know what's not working, what exactly is not working, Mm-hmm. and what could potentially work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a combination of these things, every case is different. Every context is different. But I think Canada is, is the kind of place that was, um, that has, I would say has enough to absorb absorb everyone that, that has come here in a sense, right? So uh, it, it all depends on you now finding your own angle. For me, my angle came from a combination of different things, but you finding your angle and being confident in the fact that you can contribute to an organization in a valuable way. Mm-hmm. So there's something that I always like to try to emphasize to people, like getting a job is beneficial both ways. It's not, no one is doing, a, doing you a favor by giving you a job. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, you are doing both, both sides, both sides are getting some favors in one sense or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding that you're contributing to an organization and what and you have something to contribute is really essential. And then looking for how to make that visible is your is next step, right? So for me, um, I would say getting a job is making sure you're on the radar so that people can pick you up, and identify your skill sets when they need it. Um, and whatever that looks like, be it starting a business, um, getting in front of people and telling them this is what you do, um, whatever that looks like. Um, I'm sure if you're persistent and you don't give up, um, something good will come your way. Thank you so much for that. And I truly appreciate your support and everything you've shared. You've shared a lot of insights, a lot of um, strategy that if people can utilize, they, they, they will see good results because I've, I've, I've seen it happen multiple times for several people. So thank you so much for that. COVID-19 has presented a challenging landscape for everyone. Uh, what, does that, what does that look like for an immigrant, right? Um, for me, my answer wouldn't change to that question. My answer would still be, hey, um, uh, I, I've, I mean, many job or recruiting processes start online. Uh, COVID hasn't changed that. Uh, it will still start online. There's more opportunity for remote work right now. So even looking outside of your current local um, province or geography could be relevant for you. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's, that's probably the only additional thing I'll add to that. Thank you so much for that. And thank you so much once again for your support. I really, really appreciate all that you're thank doing. You. Keep it up. Thank you so much, uh, David. Uh, good work you guys are doing. And um...
Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fresh Start. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone you know and love. Please go ahead and subscribe on any platform you listen to your podcast. And also please take a moment to leave us a review because that would help us to reach more audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FreshStartUp. If you know any newcomer you think would be a good fit to interview for the podcast, we'd like to hear from you. Please go to www.thefreshstartup.com to nominate someone. We appreciate you and remember, no matter how hard the past is, you can always begin again. Take care and have a great week.